this morning in that great set. This morning we're going to continue our series that we started last week called The Wonder of Christmas. And last week we discovered that Jesus is the wonder of Christmas because he is our hope as God is faithful to his promises. And God promised that the Messiah, his son, would come. And he did. As we discovered last week, that Jesus came for several reasons. He came to destroy our enemy. He came to free us from the fear of death and the power of sin. He came to forgive us of our sin and to fasten and secure our future glory. Then the question begs, why would God send his son Jesus, the promised Messiah, to do all these things? And I think I can sum it up in one word as why Jesus came to do all those things. And that word is love. And this is what we're going to focus on this morning. We are going to see that Jesus is the wonder of Christmas because of the love God has for us and the God and the love God has shown to us. You know, love has been described as the most important, but also the most imprecisely defined word that exists. Many people try to define the word love, but no one knows the exact words to use. Love is hard to define. It's hard to describe. It's hard to put in words. This is the dictionary definition of love, but I don't even think it does the word love justice. It defines love as an intense feeling of deep affection. But love is more than a feeling. Love involves action. If I were to ask you to define love, don't answer out loud, but think about what you would say. And I would almost guarantee that your definition of love would involve some kind of action word. It may involve the love showing or, or caring or sacrificing or, or communicating. You see, it doesn't matter how much you say you love someone. If you never show love to that person, you don't really love that person and your words are meaningless and God just did not say he loved us God showed us that he loved us he showed us his love through his written word because the Bible from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 is God's love letter to us God showed us his love through his living word Jesus Christ John 1-1 says in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God John 1-14 says the word became alive the word became flesh talking of Jesus and this morning I'm going to use one verse John 3:16. now just don't think because it's one verse it's going to be a shorter message and you're going to get out of here sooner that's not going to happen I'm going to use one verse John 3:16, to drive home the message that love came down at Christmas this one verse expresses some bold and shaping realities about the love of God that we can experience because God showed his love toward us and the sending of his son Jesus. John 3.16 is probably the most popular verse in scripture. It's probably the most quoted. It's probably one of the greatest evangelistic verses. It's on t-shirts. It's on bracelets. It's on banners. It's on signs. John 3.16 is a powerful declaration of the gospel. It's a powerful description of the love God has for us. 
And the context of this verse is Jesus' conversation with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin, which were the religious leaders, the governing body of the Jews. And they handled civil matters and religious matters and even criminal matters. And Nicodemus was interested in Jesus because of the miracles he had seen Jesus do. And Nicodemus knew that there was something different about Jesus. He knew that Jesus had come from God. He knew that that God was with Jesus. And in the course of his conversation with Jesus, Jesus told Nicodemus that he had to be born again if he wanted to be part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus explained to him that being born again wasn't a physical rebirth, but it was a spiritual birth. And this could only happen happen through believing in the Son of God. So this morning, as we go through this verse together, I want you to ask God to give you a greater understanding of His love. I want you to ask God to show you and to remind you the reality of how great His love is for you and how love was born at Christmas in the person of Jesus Christ. John 3, 16. Let's let's read this together. I think this is a verse that everyone knows or most people know. So this morning, let's read this verse, verse together that's on the screen. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Through the birth of Jesus, I want to show you six things from this verse. That's why it's not going to be short. The birth, this is the first thing. Through the birth of Jesus, we see the initiation of God's love. He says, for God so loved. This phrase is proof that God initiated, that God set in motion His love towards us. And the only reason we can love God is because God loved us first. 1 John 4.19 says we love Him because He loved us first. And the only reason we can know what love is is because God is love. 1 John 4.7 and 8, John The same writer who wrote the Gospel of John drives this point home again. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. You see, if God was not love, if God did not love us, we would not know what love is. It was the love of God for us that compelled Him, that caused Him to make the first move in showing His love toward us by taking on flesh and coming in the form of a baby. God made the move to choose Mary, a virgin, a teenage girl who loved Him, who was favored by Him, to be the mother of the Messiah, to be the mother of His one and only Son, Jesus. God gave us the gift of His Son, Jesus, because of His great love for us, because of how much He loved us. And there is no other reason for God to do what He did for us than love. You see, at Christmas, when we give gifts to others, 
It shows that we love them. It shows that we want to give them something that costs us something. Maybe it costs us a sacrifice. It costs us time. It costs us money. And God's love for us cost him something. It cost him his most valuable possession, his only son, Jesus. One of my most memorable Christmas gifts I got when I was seven or eight years old, it was a Star Wars Christmas at our house. We had the Millennium Falcon under our Christmas tree. We had all the action figures. We had the TIE Fighters. We got it all. Those were costly gifts. My parents had to sacrifice to make sure we had those gifts. And I wish I could stand here this morning and tell you I still had that collection. But when I moved out of the house, my mom saw no value in that collection. My mom gave it to a neighbor for a yard sale. She thought it was junk. She thought it was, was, was garbage. She didn't have any use for it, so she gave it away without even asking. And our boys wonder why we keep things so long. Because you never know how much something may have value. And those toys are worth something today. But why did we receive those gifts? Because of love. You know, last week I mentioned the basketball goal that Joni and I got from Walmart on Black Friday several years ago. You know, it took all night to put that thing together. Only to discover that after we got it together, we had it together wrong and had to take it all apart and start over. Why did we go to so much trouble of taking it apart and putting it back together? We didn't want to. It was because of love. Why do we do things for others? Why do we give gifts to others? It's because of the amount of love that we have for them. If we didn't love them, we certainly wouldn't do things for them. And we wouldn't give them gifts. We don't give gifts to people that we typically don't love. And if we weren't loved, we wouldn't receive gifts either. And I think of a parent-child relationship. Who initiates the love in a parent-child relationship? It's not the child that initiates the love. It's, it's the parent. Because when that child is born, the parents show love to that child by taking care of them and sacrificing for them and spending time with them. A child who's born into the world doesn't know what love is doesn't know how to love unless that child is loved first. And what is the response of a child to a loving parent? It should be love. You see, it's the same in our relationship with God. We didn't love Him first. He loved us first. And we needed God to love us first so He could show us what real love is so we can love Him and love others with the same love that He loves us with. A love that is holy, a love that is just, a love that is perfect, a love that is impartial, a love that is unconditional, a love that is sacrificial. God's love compelled him to do what he did for us. As the greatest example of his love for us is giving us the greatest gift of all, his son, Jesus Christ. And the birth of Jesus was memorable. I think it's one of the three greatest historical events ever to occur. You may think or may ask, what's the other two? Well, it's his crucifixion and resurrection that were the other two greatest historical events to occur. But the birth of Jesus changed the course of history. And the birth of Jesus had the power to change the eternal destiny of every human being. As his death and his resurrection could not have happened without his birth. 
And the birth of Jesus was costly. It cost God His Son. But without God, without Jesus, we would not know what love is. As John makes it very clear that love comes from God and that God is love. And if you want to know what love is, you need to know who God is. You need to look at His birth. You need to look at His life. You need to look at His death and His resurrection. God is the source of our love, and Jesus is the example of what it means to love. And the God who loves us is the God who is with us in the person of Jesus who came as a baby in a manger that Christmas night. And that baby in the manger was the embodiment of God's love, was the embodiment of God's grace, and the embodiment of God's truth. Thank God that he made the first move in initiating his love towards us. The second point I want to make is through the birth of Christ. Not only do we see that God initiated love, but we see the target of God's love. The next phrase, the world. For God so loved the world. The Greek word for world is cosmos. And in this context, it's not referring to the world system. It's referring to the great mass of fallen humanity that needs salvation. In this verse, the world represents sinful humanity that is not worthy of God's love. And the fact is that once sin entered the world in Genesis 3, the whole human race was on death row. And we need to understand that not a single one of us deserves the love of God. And not a single one of us can earn the love of God. And I thank God that we were the target of His love. I thank God that He aimed His love at us. And I thank him for the promise in Romans 8, 1 that says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The implication of Romans 8, 1 is that the one who is not in Christ is condemned. You see, apart from God's love, apart from God loving the world, apart from God sending his son Jesus, we stand under the condemnation and the judgment and the wrath of God. Listen to what John 3, 17 and 18 says. It says, For God did not send His Son into the world that He might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Only the love of God can save us from the one thing that we really need to fear. That's eternal condemnation. That's separation from the presence of God forever. But if we are in Christ, there's good news. If we are in Christ, Scripture says, we will not experience condemnation, but justification. As Jesus is the only one who can pardon us from our sin and set us free from sin. John 3.16 is about the greatness of God. Seen through the giving of His Son to the world. Because of his love for the world. And the scope of this salvation that Jesus offers is universal. It's for all people, in all places, and at all times. Romans 10, 13 says, Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who believes in Christ will not have eternal condemnation, but have the hope of eternal life in heaven through the love of God. And the death of his son, Jesus. 
God did not wait for the world to turn to him before he loved the world. He loved the world, fallen humanity in their sinful state. Romans 5, 6 through 8 makes this point very clear. Turn to Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. He died, in other words, for the world. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This passage says while we were still helpless. It says while we were still sinners. These are incredible thoughts. While we were still these things, while we were still ungodly, while we were still enemies of God, while we were still in rebellion towards God, God sent Jesus to die for us. Not because we were good enough, but because he loved us. God loved us as we were because he saw what he, we could become. He saw us in our sinful state. He saw that we could become like Jesus. And that's why on the cross, Jesus took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. And because of Jesus, now when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our rebellion. Now when God sees us, he sees Jesus. That's why scripture says that we are blameless in the eyes of God. Not because we ourselves are blameless, but because Jesus is blameless and we have chosen to follow him. You see, it's not always great to be a target. Being a target can be dangerous. But I am so thankful that as sinful humanity, we were the target of God's redeeming and immeasurable and never-ending love. Dr. Benjamin Warfield, who's considered a great theologian, said this. He said, world in this verse is not an extension so much as a term of intensity. Its primary connotation is ethical, and the point of its employment is not to suggest that the world is so big that it takes a great deal of love to embrace it all, but that the world is so bad that it takes a great kind of love to love it at all. And much more to love it as God loved, has loved it when he gave his son for it. Only God could love the world. Only God could love humanity in their sinful state. Only God could love us as he did and as he does. And because we, as sinful people, were the target of his love, we who believe in him, we are no longer on death row. We are no longer guilty before him, but we are now innocent because of him. We are no longer his enemy, but his friend. And we're part of his family forever. Thank God that we were the target of his love. The next phrase through the birth of Jesus, we see the demonstration of God's love. It says that he gave his only begotten son. Some translations say his one and only son. God just didn't see a problem with humanity. God did something about it. God just didn't walk away and say, I'm done with you. Figure it out for yourself. He didn't say, you got yourself into this mess. Now you get yourself out of it. Has anyone ever told you that? 
I'm sure I've been told that several times in my lives. I couldn't come up with a good illustration this week. Maybe it's because I've, I've eradicated them from my memory. But I'm sure someone has told me in the past, you've got yourself into this mess. You get yourself out of it. But the truth is, we did get ourselves in a mess. We got ourselves in a mess called sin. And there is no way we could get out ourselves out of it. There is no way we could rescue ourselves from it. We caused a problem that only the grace and the mercy and the love of God could fix. And God's solution, which is the only solution and the only way to get out of the mess we created, was to give us the most precious gift He had to give. His only begotten Son. His one and only Son. The word for begotten is the Greek word monogenes. It means only born. And it denotes a unique relationship. It denotes a special connection between a parent and a child. And in the context of God the Father and God the Son, it shows that Jesus shares the same divine nature, that Jesus shows the, the same divine attributes as the Father. This is why throughout His ministry, Jesus said on several occasions, I and the Father are one. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. He wasn't 50% man and 50% God. He was 100% man and 100% God. And the theological term is the hypostatic union. And it means the union of the humanity and divinity of Jesus are encompassed in one individual existence. And Jesus, even though he was God, he was physically born into human form. He was born in the flesh, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And God just didn't say He loved us. He demonstrated His love to us by sending His Son to die for us. You just don't tell someone you love them. You show them that you love them. Real love is not spoken. It's not just spoken. Real love is shown. Love requires action. Love requires to be expressed. If all I did was tell my wife and boys and I love them and I never did anything for them, never spent time with them, never gave them gifts, they would have every right to doubt my love for them. But when I demonstrate that I love them, they know that I love them because my actions give credence to my words. It is the same with God. The action of God sending and giving His Son, Jesus gave credence to His words. Just think of in John 3, 16, if God would have simply have said, God so loved the world, and that verse stopped there, we would be in so much trouble. We would be in a state of helplessness. We would be in a state of hopelessness. But I'm so thankful this verse doesn't stop there. I'm so thankful this verse tells us how God loved the world. How did he love the world? By giving his one and only son. We can give without loving. But you can't love without giving. We can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And because God loved the world, He gave His Son to the world so His Son could die for the world. This is the entire reason that Jesus left heaven and came to earth. And if Jesus was not born to us, He could have not have died for us. Christmas is about the incredible love of God. 
about love being born in Christmas. It's not just about Jesus saying he loves us. It's about God proving his love for us by giving Jesus to die for us. Romans 5.8 says God demonstrated his love towards us. God expressed his love toward us. How? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As a parent, can you imagine sending your child to die for someone else who had committed a wrong, who was facing death and deserved death? Can you imagine being willing to give up your child's life so that person could have life? You may be thinking, well, it depends upon the day. <laughs> but, but do you really love anyone enough to ask your child to do for someone else what God asked Jesus to do for you? 1 John 4, 9 and 10. John again explains this a little further. He says, starting in verse 9 of 1 John chapter 4, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation, the atonement, the sacrifice for our sins. You see, through the birth of Jesus, God demonstrated his love towards us by giving himself to us and giving himself for us. And we have no reason to doubt God's love for us. And we have every reason to know that God loves us. The fourth thing I want to share is through the birth of Jesus, we are the beneficiary of God's love. Who benefits from the fact that God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son? The next phrase shows who benefits. Whoever believes in him. This invitation is for anyone who believes. Regardless of race. Regardless of ethnicity. Regardless of social status. Regardless of financial status. Regardless of age. Regardless of gender. Regardless of who you are or where you come from. The gospel message is all inclusive. There's no exclusions who can benefit from the love of God. And this is a great verse to use in evangelism because you can actually put your name in it or someone else's name in it. For God so loved Dwayne that he gave his one and only son that if Dwayne believes in him, Dwayne will not perish, but Dwayne will have everlasting life. You can put your name in there just like I put my name. And Jesus came for you Jesus came for me. Jesus came for anyone who believes in him. And this invitation from God, it does require a response from us. It requires an RSVP. This invitation has a deadline like an RSVP. We have to respond to God's invitation of his love before we die. But here's the catch. God knows when our deadline is to respond to his invitation. But we don't know. That's why it's so important to respond now. You can't really know the love of God until you know God by taking the step of giving your life to Him. You can't really understand someone's love for you until you enter into a relationship with them. 
I would have never known how much Joni could love me apart from the marital relationship we have. And some of you are thinking, I still don't know how she can love you. And I would say it's only by the grace of God that she can. But you know what? We really can't know and understand the love of God. How much he really loves us until we believe in him and enter into a relationship with him. And the word believe is, is so important. The word believe here is much more than intellectual awareness. It's much more than, than knowledge. It's much more than agreement. You know, in James 2.19, James said this when he was talking about faith and works. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The, believing, the demons also believe and they shudder. So this verse, believe, it comes from the Greek word pistuo. And it carries the connotation of deep trust, of deep confidence. It means to rely on, to cling to. And so John in three, John 3.16 is saying, Whoever believes in Jesus is anyone who trusts in Jesus and has confidence in him. Take a parachute, for example. There's a difference between agreeing a parachute will work and trusting it with your life. There's a difference between believing a skydiving instructor's words and trusting their words. It's one thing to say you trust the parachute and trust the instructor. It's another thing to do it. And my question has always been, why jump out of a perfectly good plane? I don't understand that. But, but, if you, but you don't fully believe in, you don't have confidence in, you don't trust the instructor or the parachute until you prove it by taking the action of jumping out of the plane. It's the same with Jesus. It's one thing to intellectually acknowledge that, that God exists, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life and died on the cross and rose again. It's another thing to believe in and to trust Jesus with your life. You don't really believe in Jesus until you are all in with Jesus by giving him your life. Look at the disciples. They said they believed Jesus was the Messiah, but they didn't really trust him until after the resurrection. Even right before his ascension, they thought Jesus would conquer Rome and remove, us the, remove the religious leaders and restore Israel to preeminence. And then the unthinkable happened, at least in their minds. Jesus was crucified by Rome and the religious leaders. And because of that, the disciples scattered. The disciples hid in fear. Peter denied Jesus three times. They said they thought Jesus was the Messiah. But they really didn't trust Jesus or have confidence in him when he said he would rise again. They didn't trust him really when they thought their lives were over, when their lives were threatened. They thought their hope disappeared and they were terrified and devastated until they saw him after the resurrection. You know, when we believe in Jesus, we trust him with our lives. We believe in his love. We believe in his grace. We believe in his mercy. We believe in his presence as seen in his birth, in his life, in his crucifixion, in resurrection. We strap on the parachute of faith and jump in. We're all in, trusting him to be with us and to lead us and guide us and to help us. 
We trust him in the good times and the bad times. We trust him to cover our sins and to guide our living and to be with us now in the days to come as we wait for him to come again. When we believe in God, by believing in Jesus, is when we begin benefiting from his love. God loves the world. But the world can't receive or benefit from that love until it believes in, trusts in, and has confidence in Christ. You know, someone can give you a gift, but it's really not your gift until you take it and until you unwrap it. God has done all he can do. He has given us the greatest gift of all. He has given us his most valuable possession, Jesus. Now it is up to each one of us to receive the gift he freely offers. It is now up to us to accept the gift and unwrap it ourselves by believing in the gift he has given, his son, Jesus Christ. The fifth point, through the birth of Jesus, we see the intention of God's love. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, here's the intention, will not perish. To perish means to destroy. To perish means to be delivered into eternal misery. It means eternal separation from the presence and the glory of God. It means being under the wrath of God. It means facing fiery torment in a place called hell. It is everlasting and irreversible. It is eternal punishment. There is no way out. It will never end. It's the judgment of God that happens beyond the grave. And the purpose of God's love was to save us, was to rescue us from eternal judgment, eternal destruction, and eternal misery. You see, without God's love, we would be permanently separated from God as the payment, as the punishment for our sin. But God loves us so much that he was willing to do what was necessary to rescue from perishing. Think of the example. If you saw a burning building on fire and you knew that there were people in it and you heard screams for help, you would do what you could do to save those people from perishing. You would run to the fire and not away from it. And this is what God did for us He ran towards us and not away from us. And those who put their faith and trust in God will not perish, will not face God's wrath, will not face the fiery torment of hell, will not be separated from the presence of God. You know, there are only two types of people in the world. Those who will perish and those who will not perish. As to which group you belong comes down to one choice. To believe in Jesus or not to believe in Him, to receive God's gift of love, or to reject it. On April 15, 1912, what they thought was the most unsinkable ship ever built sank the Titanic. As it hit an iceberg in the North Atlantic Ocean, and it sank, and over 1,500 people lost their lives in the icy water. What is striking is the variety of people that were on that ship. They were first class and second class and third class seats. There were people from every socioeconomic class on board. There were people of all ages and all stages of life, men, women, children. And in addition to the passengers, there was the crew, there was the captain, there were those who worked in the kitchen, those who who worked in the engine room, 
There were people from every walk of life and on board. And some who would be considered much better off than others, like a man by the name of John Jacob Astor, who was one of the richest men in America at the time and was worth over $2 billion in today's money. But when that ship hit that iceberg in the North Atlantic on April 15th, it didn't matter what class of person you were. You still faced the same fate. It didn't matter if you were the captain. If it didn't matter if you were John Jacob Astor or if you were the lowliest crew member, you all faced the prospect of perishing. Every single person. This is how it is with our spiritual condition as well. There are all walks of life and all stages of life in this room today. And we were all perishing. And had God not done something for us in Jesus, if it were not for God's love coming down in the form of Jesus and going to the cross for us, we would all perish. But because of God's love for us, because of Jesus to willing to leave heaven and come to this earth as a baby and go to the cross for us, we don't have to perish anymore. If we choose to believe in and place our trust in Jesus, as the moment you do that, you will go from death to life. The last thing I want to mention is through the birth of Jesus, we have the duration of God's love. We'll not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. Once you choose to accept God's gift of salvation, by believing in Jesus, God will give you the gift of eternal life, which is the direct opposite of perishing. Oswald Chambers said this about eternal life. He said, eternal life is not a gift from God. Eternal life is the gift of God. Eternal life means that you will live in the presence of God forever. And the neat thing about eternal life is it doesn't begin when you die. It begins the moment you give your life to Christ. It has no end. You will not die. You will live forever in the presence of God. And we can't comprehend eternity. We can't comprehend or quantify eternity. We think someone living to the age of 100 is a long time to live, and that is a great accomplishment. But when compared to eternity, 100 years on this earth is no different than 30 years on this earth. Because any real number divided by infinity is zero. You see, compared to the time we will spend in eternity... The time God gives us on this earth is like a drop in the ocean. It's a blip on the radar screen of time. What an awesome thought to think. If you believe in Jesus, that if you trust Jesus, that if you give your life to Him, that you will never stop living. Why? Because God will never stop loving you. You will never stop living if you give your life to Christ because God will never stop loving you. The foundation, the basis of love is not that we love God, but that He is love. And first loved us and sent His Son to die for us. I want you to watch this short music video. It's a song by Mark Schultz. It's called When Love Was Born. And I think this is a song that really encompasses the spirit of John 3.16 and the message that I shared today. 
It's about three minutes. I just want you to, to reflect on John 3, 16. As you hear and see the words of this song, when the Savior, or when love was born. Go ahead, guys. That's sinful humanity. How did God show love to us? He gave His one and only Son. Why did God show His love? So we could believe in Him. For what purpose? So we would not perish, but have everlasting life. And what should be our response? It should be a response of gratefulness, a response of thanksgiving. A few years back, Aaron received a gift that he opened from us on Christmas morning. He held it in his hands, and he was sitting on the floor. He looked up at me and Joni, and he said these words. I'll never forget them. He said, I will be forever grateful. You know, in Jesus, we have the greatest gift ever given. We should be forever grateful, as God's love for us is our only hope for salvation and eternal life. And it's the only the love of Jesus that only changed the world. But it's only the love of Jesus that can change your life and change your eternal destination. Corey Ten Boom said this, Who can add to Christmas? The perfect motive is that God so loved the world. The perfect gift is He gave His only Son. The only requirement is to believe in Him. The reward of faith is that you will have everlasting life. I am so grateful that over 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, on that first Christmas night, the love of God, the wonder of Christmas, Jesus was born. And he wants you to believe in him so you can know him and experience his love and have eternal life. You know, this Christmas, please understand that Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. And the only way for you to miss the love God has for you is to love the world more than you're willing to love God and love Jesus. So I ask you this morning as we enter into our time of commitment, this morning have you received God's gift of love, Jesus? Have you believed in Him by turning from your sin, accepting Him as your Lord and Savior and trusting Him with your life? And if you have not received God's gift of Jesus, I would invite you to do that this morning just as Kelby showed that he did and Ben showed that he did and Lucas showed that he did. And the moment you do, you will immediately go from death to life. And if you have received Jesus this morning, I want you to think about how much God loves you. I want you to think about what he did for you in sending his son Jesus to give his life for you. And the response of someone who loves you and shows you love is to love them in return. And the way you love God is to live for Him. And maybe this morning you just want to ask God to renew your love for Him. Maybe this morning you're not living for God and loving Him the way that you should. Maybe you need to make that commitment today. Begin this Christmas season with the commitment to love God. And live for God because of his love for you. And you might just want to come and, and say, God, I thank you that you initiated your love toward me. And because of that, I no longer have to face death. I have eternal life. Let's pray and then we'll have our time of commitment.